Well, hello and welcome to our Wednesday morning Bible study. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in and uh, joining us here for our continual study as we go through the epistles. And today we will begin a brand new epistle, and I have been excited about this epistle for a long time because this letter is one of my favorite epistles. It's one of my favorite books of the Bible. It is so rich with gospel Jesus truth. And this, of course, is the book of Hebrews. Now, Hebrews is not the easiest book for Christians to make their way through. And it's very important that we get the foundation that we're going to cover today. For this book in many parts seems uh, mysterious. And this book in many parts can be confusing. You really have to have a good understanding of what's going on in the Old Testament and then how that relates to Jesus. I want to read you a um, just a paragraph from one of the commentaries I've been studying by a man named N.T. Wright, and he talks about and he introduces the book of Hebrews and its difficulties in this way. He says, Hebrews is, to us at least, a strange and difficult book. To the casual reader today, it seems to ramble on about things that are not exactly burning topics of discussion over breakfast or bitterly debated on Christian blog sites. It begins with a complex discussion of angels and what God did not say to them. It continues with a brief treatment of Psalm 95 and what rest really means. It moves on to discuss a man named Melchizedek, whom Abraham once met, but who remains unknown to most people today. It goes on to talk about the furniture in the wilderness tabernacle and ends with an exhortation to go outside the camp. None of this is the kind of thing that comes up routinely in conversation, even among practicing Christians. So that's why it's so important that we understand and lay a good foundation. So this introduction, I'm probably going to post it in two different parts because it is going to be kind of lengthy and we want to go through it. We want to go through it slowly, but we want to go through it thoroughly to have this good foundation so we can understand exactly what it is speaking of. So what is the letter addressed to the Hebrews or the letter to the Hebrews. First of all, the letter is like a sermon. It's more of a sermon than a traditional letter as we have seen with the other epistles. This sermon is a word of exhortation sent in letter form, encouraging faithful perseverance in the light of the final word that God has spoken in Christ. It's very important to understand how the book of Hebrews begins. So I want to read the first verse so we can get this foundation first. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 1 says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. 
So the introduction, the first verse of Hebrews tells us a lot. It tells us that God had spoken previously through the Old Testament prophets. And the word of God to Israel came through these Old Testament prophets. But then he says, then the writer of Hebrews says, but in these last days, he has spoken to us through his son. So Jesus is the final word that God has to say. When it comes to salvation, when it comes to uh, worship, when it comes to the Creator, when it comes to authority, Jesus Christ is God's final word to humanity. So the writer of Hebrews is laying this foundation that in previous times, God spoke to Israel by the prophets. But now He speaks by His Son, Jesus Christ. And that's what the whole letter to the Hebrews is about the Son, Jesus Christ. So who wrote the book of Hebrews? Who wrote it? Well, the fact is, we don't know who wrote it. Uh, There is no introduction as we have seen with the previous letters, say from the Apostle Paul. There is no uh, greeting. There is no salutation. There is no introduction. So we don't know who wrote it. And people have speculated for many, many years. Probably the majority of uh, people in the Christian world believe that the Apostle Paul wrote it. And again, we cannot say for certainty, but there are several options. The Apostle Paul could have written the letter to the Hebrews. It could have been written by Luke. It could have been written by Barnabas. Those are three of the main Uh, people that have been speculated over the years of who wrote it. Certainly in the early church, they attributed this letter to Paul. Even though this letter is radically different in content and style and audience than any other letter that Paul had written. Now that does not mean Paul couldn't have wrote it, but it does mean there are significant differences between the letter to the Hebrews and Paul's other letters. But there are some things we do know about who wrote it. We do know that the person who wrote it was not one of the 12 apostles. For we find in chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, we find this written, How shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. Those would have been his, the, the audience that Jesus spoke to, including the disciples. So the writer of Hebrews is saying it came to us by the, the word of those who heard Jesus. So it came from Jesus to those that heard him, then from those that heard him down to the Hebrews. So that's a pretty good indication that this was not one of the eyewitnesses to Jesus' ministry. It was not one of the 12 apostles. Also, we know that the writer was well-versed in the Old Testament. For there are about 98 citations and allusions and quotations back to the Old Testament. So whoever it was was well-versed in the Old Testament. 
We know that the person who wrote this wrote in a more technical form of Greek. The Greek language, uh, some of it was more technical and professional than, you know, a lot of times we use words that, you know, maybe aren't grammatically, you know, proper and, and things of that nature. Uh, so the person who wrote the book of Hebrews is written in a very technical form of Greek, even more so than the Apostle Paul's letters. The person who wrote this was associated with Timothy, was associated with Timothy because Timothy is mentioned in the end of the letter. And also we find at the end of the letter that the person who wrote this wrote from Italy, probably in Rome. So again, this leads us to no definite conclusion. It gives us clues about the kind of person who wrote it, but it doesn't lead us to a definite person. So the author still to this day remains unknown. So when was the letter written? Well, again, we do not know when the letter was written. We are pretty confident that most assuredly it was written before AD 70. In AD 70, the Jewish temple in Jerusalem was destroyed by the Roman army. And since this book deals so heavily with the tabernacle and the priesthood and the furniture, it probably would have mentioned the event that stands out in the history of Israel, the destruction of Jerusalem. Because it does not mention this, it was probably written earlier. It was probably written between 64 and 69 AD. Who were the recipients of the letter? Again, we do not know the specifics about who the letter to the Hebrews was written to. But we do know that generally it was written to Hebrew people. Hence the title or the name given to the letter Hebrews. It was written to Hebrew people. It was written to Jewish people who had grew up under the Jewish laws and Jewish customs and grew up in the Old Covenant and grew up with the priesthood and that were well familiar with all of these uh, rituals and ways of life of uh, the Jews. So this was definitely written to Jewish people. Probably the majority of those who would read this letter were Jewish Christians. And probably intermingled among those Jewish Christians were those who were Jews but had not yet become Christians. So the purpose of this letter, of who it was written to, becomes twofold. It becomes, number one, to persuade those Jews who were not yet Christians. And it was to give confidence to those Jews who had become Christians and accepted Christ as their Savior. These recipients of the letter, these Hebrews and these Jewish Christians especially, were suffering persecution. We do know that they were suffering persecution. And many of them were immature and not very grounded in their faith. And there was much pressure on them to go back into the realities of Judaism and the Old Covenant. Even Paul mentioned several times in his letters that he was persecuted by his own people. And many times in that culture, and still, you know, like this today for other religions and other cultures, if you were to leave your religion of your family and be converted to another religion, you would be ostracized from the community, from society. You would be disowned. You would be persecuted. You would be seen as turning your back on your, your father and mother and grandparents and the tradition of your parents and the tradition of your nation. 
So it was in these times with those Jews who converted to Christianity. And they were probably being persecuted and pressured to go back to what they had always known. So this is the the outline of the, the recipients. We know they were Hebrews. We know they were Jewish. The majority were probably converted to Christianity, although there were probably some that would read this letter that were not yet Christians, that they were trying to persuade to become Christians who were on the fence. Many of them were immature in their faith and needed to be grounded in their faith. And many were being persecuted and pressured to go back into Judaism. Hence the the argument of this letter to not go back into Judaism. Which leads us to the occasion of why this letter was written. And we covered some of that. The community is discouraged because of suffering. They're going through times of suffering. And perhaps, perhaps they're experiencing doubts about whether Jesus really is the Jewish Messiah. The author writes to convince them to not to throw away your confidence. So he says things like, do not throw away your confidence. He says things like, hold fast to the profession of your faith. So the writer of Hebrews is urging the members of his audience to remain steadfast in their loyalty to Jesus as the Messiah, the Son of God, the true high priest. And do not go back and look for their security in the symbols of their Jewish identity. That everything leading up to Jesus was a shadow, but Jesus is the reality. Everything leading up to Jesus was a type of the true that would come in Jesus Christ. So the writer is encouraging them to stay steadfast in your faith. Hold to your confession. Do not be moved away from what you have heard. Do not leave the reality and go back into the shadows. Do not leave the truth and go back into the types. So the occasion is to stay in Jesus Christ. Because if you leave Jesus Christ, there's really nothing to go back to in Judaism. So that's the occasion because of the persecution and the suffering, because of the the people doubting maybe that Jesus is really the Messiah and maybe they should go back into what is familiar to them. The writer is writing to them to tell them to remain in steadfast perseverance of faith. Now, what are some of the major themes of the book of Hebrews? Well, the major theme of the letter to the Hebrews is that Jesus is better. That take everything that in the Old Testament and everything in the Old Testament leads up to Jesus to show us that Jesus is greater and Jesus is better than anything that had come before him. So the book of Hebrews declares several things. It declares that Jesus is better than the angels, that Jesus is superior to the angels. The word spoken about Jesus is more superior than the word spoken about the angels. That Jesus is a greater Moses. Jesus is better than Moses. As great as Moses was, Jesus is better. That Jesus is better than Joshua. And the writer makes the point that even under Joshua, 
The children of Israel didn't experience all that God had for them. But one greater than Joshua is now here, and his name is Jesus. So Jesus is better than Joshua. The letter to the Hebrews mentions that Jesus brings in a better hope. A better hope because he brings in an eternal, solid hope. Jesus is a better high priest. He's a better high priest. And he brings in a better priesthood. Where the Levitical priesthood of the Old Testament, the Levites, they had to offer sacrifice for their own sin before they offered sacrifice for the sins of the people. Jesus did not have to offer a sacrifice for his own sins because he was sinless. The Levitical priest eventually died. Jesus will never, now that he's high priest ascended into heaven, he will never die again. The Levitical priesthood, the high priest, the office was only temporary. But Jesus' priesthood, is eternal. What else do we see that Jesus is better than? Jesus gives in the new covenant a better covenant than the old covenant. And we'll talk a lot in the book of Hebrews about the old covenant and the new covenant. For the Hebrews here were living in the time of the end of the old covenant age and the beginning of the age to come, the new covenant Age. So when the writer says, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, he's speaking not of the last days of human history, because that was 2,000 years ago. He's writing about the last days of the old covenant and the bringing in of the new covenant. He speaks, the writer speaks of the old covenant and says, the old covenant is old. It waxes old and it decays and it is ready to be done away with. Well, here, the temple was still standing pre-AD 70. And worship in Jerusalem was still going on. But yet, the old covenant had come to an end. It was old. And Jesus had brought in a new covenant. And eventually, that old covenant with its temple and its priesthood and its sacrifices would be totally removed off the scene in A.D. 70. So that's why the writer says that the old covenant waxes old and decays, but is ready to vanish off the scene. And to this day, there is no temple, no priesthood, no animal sacrifices. And that's because of the priesthood of Jesus Christ and the new covenant that Jesus brought. And this new covenant is a better covenant. This better covenant is built upon better promises. It's built upon better promises. Not conditional promises as the old covenant, but eternal promises because of Jesus Christ. It brings in, Jesus brings in a better sanctuary and better furniture than the old covenant sanctuary because those things were a shadow of the reality that was coming in Jesus. In the book of Hebrews, we find that Jesus is a better sacrifice. He's a better sacrifice. Because His sacrifice, the Old Testament sacrifices, had to be offered continually, year after year, month after month, day after day. But Jesus was a one 
time, one sacrifice for all offering. So it's a better sacrifice. And it is by better blood. Not the blood of bulls and goats, but the blood of Jesus Christ. The blood of animal sacrifices can never take away sins. The blood of Jesus takes away our sins. Even Hebrews mentions that Jesus has better blood than that of Abel that was shed, which Abel cried out for his blood, cries out for vengeance. Jesus' blood cries out for forgiveness. So this is one of the major themes of the letters to the Hebrews, that Jesus is better. Another major theme is a word that we find in Hebrews, and the word is let us. Let us. Some people say the book of Hebrews is the book of lettuce. Lettuce like you eat, but it's actually let us. So this book is a word of exhortation. This letter is a letter of exhortation, encouraging the believers in several things. So here are the let us's of the letter to the Hebrews. First it is, let us fear, lest we fall short of the promise of rest, true rest in Jesus Christ. Then number two is, let us labor to enter into Christ's rest, not into our religious works, but labor to enter into rest. Number three, let us come boldly to the throne of grace. Number four, let us go on to maturity. Let us, let us not stay in immaturity. Number five, let us draw near to God with a pure heart and full assurance of faith. Number six, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. Number seven, let us consider one another. Number eight, let us lay aside the sin and every weight that so easily besets us. Number nine, let us have grace to serve God in reverent fear. Number 10, let us go forth and do the work of the ministry on the earth. And number 11, let us offer the sacrifice of praise continually. So you see, all of these are exhortations to these Jewish believers, these Hebrews, to stay steadfast in their faith. Now, along with the word of exhortation, there's a lot of exhortation in the book of Hebrews, as we have just seen, 11 exhortations to let us do certain things. There's also warnings, and we can't ignore the warnings in the book or the letter to the Hebrews. For there are five major warnings in the book of Hebrews. Number one is the warning against drifting away from the message of Christ. Now, all of these warnings have to do with receiving the message of Christ. Basically, receive the message of Christ, salvation. Reject the message of Christ. There's nothing. There's nothing in the Old Testament sacrifices. There's nothing in the Old Testament uh, priesthood that can save you. There's nothing in the Old Covenant law that can save you. 
So all of these exhortations and warnings is really to stay in faith in Jesus Christ in the midst of persecution and pressure and doubts to go back. So he warns against drifting away from the message. Number two, he warns against having an unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. And how do you turn away from the living God? You turn away from Jesus. You turn away from Jesus. And that's another point that the book of Hebrews makes, is that turning away from Jesus is turning away from God. Because it's not like you can turn away from Jesus and go back to the God of the Old Covenant. Because the God of the Old Covenant has brought the Old Covenant to an end and has brought in a new covenant. The God of the Old Covenant used to speak by the prophets of the Old Testament, but now the God of the Old Covenant speaks by Jesus Christ. So in essence, the writer is telling these Jewish people, you can't go back into Judaism and find God because God is now found in Jesus Christ. So he warns them against having an unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Number three, he warns them against falling away from the truth. That there are many that are hearing the message of Jesus Christ and they're, they're getting convicted, but yet many of them will turn away from the truth. And if they turn away and continue to keep turning away from the truth of Jesus, they'll never come to repentance. So he challenges them to, or warns them against falling away from the truth. Number four, he warns against sinning willfully after receiving the truth. And we're going to talk in detail because that is a scripture that has been totally abused in the church in years past. But he warns against sinning willfully after people have heard or received the truth. And we'll talk about exactly what that is when we get to chapter 10. And then number five, the last warning that we see here is against refusing him who is speaking. Do not refuse him who is speaking. So there we see the book of Hebrews, the major themes is Jesus is better. The major exhortations is to let us do certain things. And the major warnings is to warn against leaving the truth of Jesus and going back into Judaism. So all of this text or all this context must be kept in mind when we are reading the text. Because if not, we can make the text say things that it does not say and was never intended to say. So to read this, we have to put ourselves in the place of the hearers of the letter. So these are, these are the major themes. What are the major emphasis of the book of Hebrews? Well, the major emphasis is, number one, that God has spoken His final word in His Son. And just as we read in the, in the Gospels, you know, this is my beloved son, God says, listen to him, hear ye him. Jesus said, even before he ascended, all authority is given unto me in heaven and earth. And that's just not authority over the devil or authority over sin. That's authority over the old covenant. That's authority over the temple. That's authority over the scribes and Pharisees. That's authority even over the words of Moses and the prophets. Jesus has all authority. He, hear him, listen to him. He is God's revelation. 
He is God's final word to humanity. If you don't listen to Jesus, you'll never be led to salvation and never be led to God. So the emphasis is God has spoken His final word in His Son. And there is no other word. There's no other word to go back to. Another emphasis, as we just mentioned, to abandon Christ is to abandon God. To abandon God Himself. Number three, another emphasis. Christ is superior to everything that was before. We looked at that when we saw all of the the betters that we saw mentioning. And the point there is that there is nothing in Judaism to go back to. Christ is the fulfillment of all. There's nothing to go back to in the old revelation, in the old covenant. Number four, you can have full confidence in the Son. You can find your security in Jesus Christ. And you can have full assurance and confidence in Jesus Christ. And number five, the emphasis is finish with faithful endurance. Because you can have full confidence, stay faithful. Remain in faith. Endure the hardship. Endure the pressure. Endure the persecution. Be a person of faithfulness unto Jesus in the midst of a culture that's trying to lead you into back into unfaithfulness. So these are some of the emphasis that we see here in the book of Hebrews or the letter to the Hebrews. I want to look very quickly at the overview of Hebrews. On our notes, it says the letter of Hebrews, Hebrews moves back and forth between an argument based on Scripture and exhortation, warnings. What concerns the author is the possibility that some believers under present distress will let go of Christ and return back to their Mosaic roots, thus lose out on the Son's saving work and thus their own experience of God's presence. And this is what the interspersed warnings are all about. So there are four things that we want to show us as far as the overview to the letter of the Hebrews. First of all, is in the first three verses, which we previously read at the beginning of our session today. First is the introduction. The introduction. What we just read, God who at various times past spoke to our ancestors by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by His Son, Jesus Christ. And, if, and He adds there that Jesus Christ was the Creator of the world that he has all authority. He made the universe. So we have the introduction. And then there are three major divisions of the book. First of all is chapters 1 through 6. Chapters 1 through 6 is all about the Son, how he is superior to angels, how he is greater than Moses, and how he is a greater Joshua who brings us into true rest. So the first part of the book is all about the Son and how He is better and lays the foundation. It was better than even these leaders. Of course, Moses and Joshua were the leaders you know, in the, in, in, in the Exodus and in the wilderness, leading people to their promised land, leading Israel to their promised land. Jesus is the leader of a new Exodus, not leading people out of a physical Egypt, 
but leading people out of a spiritual Egypt. Not leading them into a physical land of rest like Canaan was, but leading them into a spiritual life of rest, which we are promised. So that's part one. Part two is all about the Son as the perfect high priest. And that is chapter 7 through 10. We see that he is, Jesus is a priest, not after the order of the Levites, the Levitical priesthood, but Jesus is a priest after the order of Melchizedek. And we'll talk about that strange name uh, in a couple of sessions from now. But Jesus has a, is a better high priest of a better priesthood by basis of a better covenant, offering better sacrifices. And that's all part of His high priestly because He Himself is the perfect once-for-all sacrifice in the perfect sanctuary. And then part three is chapters 11 through 13, and that is the encouragement to faithful perseverance. Faithful perseverance. These are where some, you know, majority of the let us's are found in some of the warnings. It uses marvelous imagery in chapter 12 to contrast Mount Sinai and the Old Covenant with the heavenly Mount Zion and the kingdom of God and the New Covenant. It concludes with very practical exhortations about life in the present. So here we find our overview. So you have your introduction establishing Jesus as God's final word. You have part one that Jesus, it's all about Jesus, that he is the, the better Moses and Joshua who leads us in a better exodus, a second exodus into rest. He's the high priest of a better priesthood, chapter 7 through 10, and the encouragement based on all of this, the encouragement to stay faithful in the midst of pressure and persecution and to remain in perseverance. So this is our first part of our introduction to the book of, for the letter written to the Hebrews, and uh, we'll attach part two uh, as well, so that we'll get uh, a little more details about how the writer of the he about how the writer of Hebrews uses Old Testament scripture. So again, thank you for joining us for part one of our introduction to the letter to the Hebrews. Now we're going to talk about some specific advice for reading the letter to the Hebrews. Now the key to reading the letter to the Hebrews is to think Jewish. We must think like a Hebrew. We must get into their mindset. We must get into their world. Most contemporary Christians do not find Hebrews to be an easy read, as we said at the beginning of the session. And they find this for at least two reasons. Number one, it's structure. It's one long, sustained, uh, really, argument. One long, sustained sermon. One long, sustained uh, word, of, uh, word of encouragement. It's, it doesn't read like a letter. It reads like a sermon, a dissertation interlaced with some warnings in the midst of it, as we have seen. 
So the structure is not an easy read. It's hard to sit down and read the letter to the Hebrews in one sitting and get everything in it. The other reason that it's difficult for many Christians is because of the world and the context and the setting that it is written in. Because, you know, we are not Jewish and have not grew up under the Old Testament law. We don't grasp everything that the letter is saying. So we must, and those of us that grew up in church, you know, we understand, you know, some more of the Old Testament maybe than, than others that are new to the faith and new to the church. So we must have this foundation in order to properly understand and interpret this letter. So there are three keys to understanding and the advice for reading the letter to the Hebrews. Number one, we have to understand it's all about Jesus and convincing the readers that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the promised Messiah who the prophets spoke about. It's all about Jesus. Number two, we must understand that outside of Jesus, there's nothing to go back to in Judaism. There's not, so we must put ourselves in the place of a Jewish person, pressured to go back under the law, and we have to understand that outside of Jesus, there's nothing in the Old Covenant to go back to. Because the Old Covenant leads us to Jesus. The Old Covenant was a type and shadow. Everything in the Old Testament was a type and shadow of Jesus. And number three, the Jewish Scriptures speak of Jesus. And the writer of the letter of Hebrews uses a lot of Scripture from the Old Testament. He uses the Scriptures in ways that a traditional Jewish rabbi would make an argument. He uses from the lesser to the greater. So he takes the lesser uh, animal sacrifices and that they were good for a time, but he uses the lesser and moves it to the greater. Well, if these animal sacrifices were good, how much better is the sacrifice of Jesus? If the priesthood was good, how much better is the priesthood of Jesus? If the tabernacle was, was good, how much better is Jesus. So he uses a traditional rabbinic argument from the lesser to the greater, and he uses the Jewish scriptures as the example of the lesser, and Jesus as the example of the greater. The second thing he does is he reads along those same lines. He, leads, he reads the entire Old Testament through the lens of Jesus. And this is very important whenever we're reading the Bible. We have to understand that our Old Testament is the Jewish Bible. It is the Hebrew Scriptures. They're put in our Bible because of how Jesus, how Jesus came, how the New Testament writers reference the Old Testament, and we would be lost with a lot of context if we didn't have the Old Testament to reference. But however, we must be very careful as New Testament believers to interpret the Old Testament in the light of Jesus Christ. That the Old Testament is filled with types and shadows. The Old Testament is filled with things that, that point to Jesus and teaches us about Jesus. The prophet spoke leading us to Jesus. The Old Testament is leading us to the 
New Testament. The Old Covenant is leading us to the New Covenant. So the writer of Hebrews interprets the entire Old Testament through the lens of Jesus Christ. And number three, we have to understand all of the texts from the Old Testament that he uses to do this. Again, there's you know, almost a hundred Old Testament allusions in the book or in the letter to Hebrews. And we have here on our notes some of the Old Testament text and their corresponding uh, Hebrew uh, references. And we're not going to go through all of those, but there are a couple that are of significant importance because number one, it was all about Jesus and the Old Testament scriptures speak of Jesus and outside of Jesus, there's nothing in the Old Testament to go back to. And that's because Hebrew shows us that Jesus is king. Jesus is the promised king that was promised to Israel. The argument about Jesus focuses on Jesus fulfilling certain psalms that are called royal psalms. Psalms pointing to the future king. One of these psalms is Psalms 110 that is quoted. Another one is Psalm chapter 2. These are royal psalms that Jesus fulfills. Psalm 2 declares that the Messiah is God's Son and that He provides purification for sins and He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. That's alluding to Psalm 110. So here we find two crucial matters as far as the writer to the, uh, to the Hebrews. Number one is that the Son is now called Lord. And He is seated at the right hand of God in all authority, as Psalm 110 tells us. The right hand of God is the place of His high priestly ministry. And that God by oath promised that He would exalt, would give an exalted King, His Son, that would be a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Psalm 110 verse 4 speaks of this coming King after the order of Melchizedek. And the writer of Hebrews is saying this is Jesus. So after the author uh, joins Psalm 110, the Psalm chapter 2, the rest forms the argument from chapter 5 on about Christ fulfilling that promise that God made to Israel, showing that Jesus is the true King based upon the writings of the Jewish Scriptures. Then when you take Psalm 110 and Psalm chapter 2 and you put them together to show that Jesus is the promised King that purifies us from our sins, that sits on the right hand of God, take that and then add some of these to it. And you see in your notes. Now add to these points the following. Number one, the failure of Israel to enter into rest. How the Old Testament Jews failed to obtain God's promises and to enter into God's rest. The, but yet that promise, Hebrews 4 says, still remains. 
Number two, the fact that God promised a new covenant in Jeremiah 31, 31, that He would bring an end to the old covenant and bring in a new covenant. That's cited in Hebrews chapter 8 and Hebrews chapter 10. The fact that Christ's death affected both the new covenant and a perfect once-for-all sacrifice for sins, bringing the old order to an end. Bringing the old covenant to an end. That's established here. Then there's chapter 11, the long list of those who faithfully persevered as they waited for the future promise. So just as the Old Testament saints persevered in waiting for the future promise, the New Testament saints should persevere living in the promise. And then in chapter 12, the superiority of the heavenly Zion over the earthly Mount Sinai where the law was given, showing the kingdom's superiority over the law. So all of these Old Testament allusions, that's why you have to have you know, some type of a knowledge of what's going on in the Old Testament to understand the, the greatness of the message that Hebrews is trying to declare. So we should be able to see not only where the whole argument flows and goes to, but how persuasive it should be to those Jewish Christians. That when you get to the end of the letter, you would see that Jesus is God's final word. That Jesus is God's final sacrifice. That Jesus' kingdom is the final kingdom. That Jesus' priesthood is the ultimate and final priesthood. That His sacrifice is the one sacrifice for all. So you see, when reading the Scriptures, you must think Jewish to understand what's going on. And when you see it, you will without a doubt know that the old covenant has been brought to its complete end and that the new covenant under a new priesthood with a new law, with better, a better sacrifice built upon better promises, with a better hope, that is what is established forever. So I want to read this final paragraph to you. I started with a quote from N.T. Wright, and I want to end with a quote from N.T. Wright about the letter to the Hebrews. He says, Hebrews insists that Jesus is the fulfillment of the scriptural hopes of Israel. All the emblems of Israel's call and all the instruments of Israel's vocation, the temple, the law covenant, the priesthood, the worship, Mount Zion, have come to a new fulfillment in Christ and His people. We could perhaps look at Hebrews as, in a sense, a Christian introduction to the Old Testament. See, many of us learn the Old Testament first, and then we learn Christ and sometimes that's how we still interpret the Bible, through the Old Testament first and then Christ. Maybe it would be better to establish people in Christ and His covenant and His priesthood and then show people how that relates to the Old Testament. He says, in a sense, Hebrews is looked at as a Christian introduction to the Old Testament. 
The letter points out that Israel's scriptures were always looking ahead to something to come. A new covenant, a new type of priesthood, a new altar, a better sacrifice, a city to which the present Jerusalem would only be a signpost. We could summarize Hebrews this way. The scriptures had always pointed ahead to something new and better. And it has now arrived in Jesus. And that is the letter to the Hebrews. 